0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's 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 good to see people. I, it's wonderful to see you here today. If we haven't met before, my name's Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors. Uh, like a lot of you, gosh, we lost power on on Monday. We were without it till Friday. Three kids under six. It was pure insanity. But we made it. But while I was mostly worthless, literally contributing nothing to our church. Um, Vista was actually hosting, I believe, the biggest warming shelter in the city during that time. There was a nursing home in the area. Yeah. There was a nursing home that had um, lost power, as we apparently were doing. Um, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks, man. You can't play with me like that. Ah, still warm, though. Still warm. Uh, there was a nursing home that had lost power, pipes burst, and so we were able to host, I think, 30, 40 or 50 of them here. Huge shout out to Russell Norman. Uh, He does a lot of our production stuff. He was kind of personal contact here. John Stroker, Jonah, Nick, a number of volunteers who just did an unbelievable job. And, And I want to make you aware that not so that you can be like prideful about it, but so that you can be proud of it. Okay? in um, one of the earliest documents we've got describing early Christian worship, we're told that at the end of their services, what they would do is they, they'd all put, like, their possessions on the table. Whatever extra they had, they'd literally just kind of pile it on the table. You know, their Roman coins, whatever it was, they'd put there. And then whoever had need would just take it. Right? They'd put together the resource, and whoever had need, they would take it. And it's important for you to know that that's still what we do. Right, it's just kind of invisible now, right? We've got these little digital withdrawals we do from our bank accounts. but That's what we do every single week, every single month. We faithfully and generously give, pull together our resources. We look around our community and our world and we say, hey, who could use this stuff? And when you do that patiently and faithfully over time, you're able to do stuff like build a building that can host a nursing home during a blizzard in February in Texas, right? So it's just a good reminder that that's what we're doing and God uses us to do some really incredible things. Be proud of it, not prideful about it, but proud of it, okay? So today, today we are uh, we are about at the halfway point in our 15 week long journey through the story of Jesus as told in the Gospel of Luke. And we find ourselves continuing on this road trip with Jesus, it's a road trip that starts out in Nazareth, his hometown, right? He preaches that really bad sermon that almost gets him killed, traveling all the way down to Jerusalem. And so on this road trip, Jesus, he, he's traveling along with his band of married men and women, getting to all sorts of trouble along the way, which is, of course, a, a foreshadowing of the, the looming showdown that will be awaiting him when he finally gets to Jerusalem. So today, we come to chapter 12, we have this really, really interesting story. Right. Jesus, he's, he's at the peak of his popularity right now. He, he's, he's MJ on the 70-win bulls. Right? He's at the peak of his popularity. This enormous crowd of people is gathered around him to hear from him. And he takes this moment to talk to us a little bit about fear, about worry, and about possessions. Now, does that sound like it might be relevant? Fear, worry, and possessions? I suspect it will be relevant. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 12. We're going to start at verse 1, then we're going to kind of hop around a little bit because it's, it's, it's a longer text. So we'll start here in Luke 12, verse one It'll be here on the screen for you if you would like. It says, Now under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people, thousands of people, okay, had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, jump down to verse 4, I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one whom after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, you better fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents yet? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. No matter how few or many they are, they are numbered. Do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Jump down to verse 13. Now somebody in this crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for even when one has an abundance, does his life for even when one has an abundance, his life does not consist of his possessions. Then he told him a parable he said, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, hmm, what shall I do since I have no place to store all my crops? And then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'm going to build larger ones. Dave preached on this a few months ago. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. So take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and isn't rich toward God. he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, don't worry about your life as to what you'll eat, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. For life is more than food and body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom, they got no barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Isn't that a good verse? If you can't even do a little bitty thing, why are you worried about everything else? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men and women of little faith? And don't seek what you'll eat or what you'll drink. And don't keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Don't be afraid, little clock, for your father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom so sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, Luke 12. So here in Luke 12, we have a fairly chaotic scene if you didn't pick up on it. Jesus, he's, he's traveling along and this huge crowd of people gathers around him. In fact, in the Greek, it literally says tens of of thousands of people tens of thousands of people are gathered in on jesus and it's it's so many people that they're actually trampling upon one another to try to get close to him i mean can you imagine being at this thing you, you're in this huge crowd of people you want to be near jesus so bad that you were literally you were like walking on other human beings my bad my bad oh my god that was a face mom mom you put mom up you know you're trying to get close to jesus and so jesus the crowds, you know they're just losing around him but he always keeps us cool you ever notice that about jesus He always keeps us cool. And so as these people are literally trampling upon one another, he decides he's going to teach them a lesson about fear, about worry, and about possessions, right? So he starts out talking about fear. He says, hey, don't be afraid of people because all that they can do is kill you. (laughs) Which is not the best pep talk. You know what I mean? Yeah, they they can. And can you imagine, you you want to come see me, and you're like, Austin, man, i got this really difficult situation. I'm worried about what I'm going to do and how the person's going to respond. I say, hey, man, it's cool. Don't worry about it. Think about it like this. The worst they could do is murder you in your sleep, right? Glass half full of murder, maybe, but glass half full wouldn't be very comforting. But Jesus, he always tells us like it is. We know this about Jesus, and so he tells us like it is. And he says, sure, people can kill you. It's, It's actually not very hard. People can kill you. But you shouldn't be afraid of people because they can kill you. No, rather, you should fear God because God has the authority to cast you into hell. And at this point, you know, some of us might be having some some flashes of PTSD from those evangelism by terrorism sermons we heard going up. You know what I'm talking about? Man, you better look out. God is angry. He wants to burn you forever. But luckily, Jesus, his merciful son, is here to save you from his angry father. And so you better ask him into your heart before he changes his mind. And his angry father gets his angry hands on you. No, that's, that's, that's not what's going on here, and let's explore why. So there's no debating the fact that Scripture is filled with the command to fear God. All throughout Scripture, we're told we better fear God. Let's we'll just look at a few places. Second Chronicles 19, verse 7 says, Now then, let the fear of God be upon you. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. Jeremiah 5, verse 24. Let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain in its season, both the autumn and spring rain, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. And maybe you think, oh, that's just Old Testament stuff. Man, you know, we're New Testament people. Hold on now. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. This is Apostle Paul speaking. It says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Right? We've got it in the New Testament too. So we've got that said pretty plainly, right? We should fear God. But one of the things that's so fascinating about Scripture is the way the different voices within Scripture interact with one another to produce these deep, resonant harmonies. All right? Think of it like this. Um, <clears throat> God could have made Scripture a single voice where a single person gets up and sings a solo right? Moses, Elijah, Jesus is probably the most obvious one. You just have Jesus write the whole Bible, but God could have done that, right? God could have done that if he wanted to. And yet what we find in scripture instead is this huge diversity of voices, prophets and poets and priests and prostitutes and kings and fishermen, all these different voices. And these voices sing in different languages. We've got the Hebrew in the Old Testament, got a little bit of Aramaic in the New Testament. The rest of the New Testament is Greek. And these different voices—they sing different things that don't contradict so much as they collaborate. Are you following with me here? They don't contradict each other so much as they collaborate. They layer, they harmonize on top of one another. All that to say, instead of a solo performance, what we find in Scripture instead is like this enormous, rowdy choir that produces that hits these notes and harmonies that a single singer just cannot hit on their own we have jordan sin up here and sing a solo and it's going to be beautiful it's going to be great but if you get jordan with a big gospel choir at his back my goodness jesus christ himself might come back if that happened right we can hit these notes together that we can't hit on our own and that's what we find in scripture and the fear of god is a perfect example of this okay so we have these texts that clearly tell us, how hey, you better fear God, right? Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout Scripture, you better fear God. And then we also have a text like 1 John 4, 17 through 18. Listen to what it says. Love is perfected within us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. Pay attention here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected. In love. And so what John tells us here is that if we have fear, right, if we fear God, then that means we have not been properly formed in the love of God. Because the love of God casts out all fear. That's what John says. And this is actually very similar to what Jesus has said in Luke 12, verses 5 through 7. We'll read it again. Jesus says, What? Yes, I tell you, fear God. This is Jesus talking, you better fear God. But are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. You see what's going on here? See, what Jesus has effectively said is that we should fear the God from whom we have nothing to fear. You with me here? We should fear the God from whom we have nothing to fear. And how good is that? Right? How better is that than some thin little solo that says, Yo, you know, turn or burn. God can't wait to burn you forever. Or on the other hand says, hey, God's a big permissive teddy bear. He'll give you whatever you want. We'll never hold you accountable. No, neither of those weak little solos will work. Because what scripture instead booms out in this deep, enormous harmony is that the fear of God leads us To being unafraid of God. Because God demands to be taken seriously, man. He does. God demands to be taken seriously. But God also demands to be removed from the list of things that you worry about. And I know that's easier said than done for a lot of us because we've lived our whole lives believing that. We have to be terrified of God. We have to be worried about his acceptance of us because that's the only way he'll accept us, right? If I'm really anxious about God accepting me, then maybe he'll finally accept me. And if that's you, then I got good news for you, right? God is demanding. He's not asking. God is demanding that you remove him from the list of things that you worry about, right? And so at this point, Jesus, you know, he's, he's mid-sermon, man. He's feeling He's riffing. He's riffing on how the fear of God leads us to being unafraid of God. He's feeling it. And then some bozo in the crowd shouts out. There's always some drunk bozo in the crowd. You ever been to a concert? There's always some drunk guy who yells what? Play free bird, okay? It's that guy. It's that guy. He yells out. And he's like, hey, Jesus, that, that's, that's great, but I need you to do something for me. My good-for-nothing brother, you better tell him to share it, my part of the inheritance with me because I want my stuff. I want it now. Dance clown. Jesus tell him to give me my stuff. And what happens next is just, it's just quintessential Jesus. All right? So this guy makes this demand of Jesus to sort out his little family dispute. There are tens of thousands of people there, and this guy's like, hey, Jesus, I need you to fix my problem real quick. And Jesus, instead of answering this guy's demand, instead, what does he do? He tells everybody a story. Right? That's what Jesus did. Jesus, give me an answer. And Jesus' is like, oh, I'm gonna tell everybody a story instead. So he tells a story about this rich guy who had a lot of stuff, and instead of sharing it, he built these big barns. And then he turns to his disciples, and he starts talking to them about worry. It's really the place in Scripture that most deals with worry. Four times in the short span of 12 verses, Jesus says, hey, don't worry about your life. Don't be overly concerned about what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about such things. Do not be afraid little flock and if you're like me I mean y'all those words are music to my ears anybody else don't worry don't be afraid because if there's anything that I could just bam snap my fingers and instantly do it would, it would probably be to sing like Jordan but if there was a second thing that I could snap my fingers and instantly do it would be to rid my life of all worry anybody else oh can you imagine that you ever thought about how much joy has been sucked out of your life because of worry? You know, sometimes it's big worry. Big financial hit, loss of loved ones, blizzard in February in Texas, you know, sometimes it's a big worry. But a lot of time, maybe even more often, it's that it's that it's that low-grade worry, that constant nagging voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough, you're not successful enough, you're not wealthy enough, you're not something enough, and it will ruin you, y'all. I've had seasons in my life where I literally just felt worry like wrecking my body. I would wake up, and before my mind could even form a conscious thought, my body was already worried you ever been there you're like are you kidding me i haven't thought about anything yet and my stomach is in a knot i get to the end of the day and the knot has moved up to the back of my neck because i just walked around with the worry on my shoulders all day long and so jesus he tells us not to worry which is great but also very frustrating because there is nothing more annoying than somebody telling you not to worry can i get an amen It's just, how's that? Oh, I never thought of that. How long did you go to grad school to figure out that technique, man? Because if not worrying was as easy as just not worrying, then I suspect all of us would just stop worrying. Like next time somebody tells you worry, don't hit them, but think about it, right? It's very frustrating when somebody tells you just stop worrying. Oh yeah, man, where's that switch? I wish I'd flipped it. It's not that simple because most of the time our worry is out of our control and it cannot be fixed directly. Your worry—it's out of your control, and it cannot be fixed directly. For example, um, I was a communication minor in college, and in my very first communication class, literally communication 101, on one I learned about something called evaluation anxiety. Evaluation anxiety, this is the most common form of anxiety that people feel when it comes to public speaking. Uh, Studies tell us that many of us, probably most of us, are are petrified of public speaking. There are actually some studies that say people are more afraid of public speaking than death. Isn't that insane? Next funeral you go to realize that most people would rather be in the coffin than given the eulogy. It's really quite unbelievable. Uh, We're afraid. We're so afraid of public speaking. And the main reason for that is we're afraid of people's judgments, of their evaluations of us. We're afraid of what they're going to think of us. And I, I, I've always enjoyed public speaking, but I've always dealt with my fair share of anxiety about it as well. And so really early on, I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm tired of feeling anxious about this, so I'm going to master it. You know, I, I want to become, become so good that I don't have to worry about people's evaluations anymore. And I'll fix it. And you know what happened? I, I did become a good public speaker. I can stand up here and not pee in my pants or anything. It's fantastic. It's great. But you know what else happened? The anxiety didn't go anywhere. The anxiety just stayed. Because now, instead of being worried about whether people thought I was good, I was worried about whether people thought I was great. And you see how it works? Sooner or later, you realize worry is what? It's a moving target. It just moves all around, man. Here to here to here to here. Which is why you can never get rid of it by mastering it. We'll switch the metaphor here a little bit. For example, why are beautiful people typically so worried about their appearance isn't that weird I mean you would think it would kind of work the opposite way like if you're a super attractive person you'd get up you know look in the mirror and be like dang you know <laughs> still doing good man still a good day to be me you're Brad Pitt you wake up you look in the mirror like yep full house again thank you But instead, that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. What happens instead is beautiful people find their identity deeply wrapped up in their beauty. So they're always worried about being more beautiful. Because if you're an eight, I mean, you got to try to be a nines with that outfit, with that Botox, with that Everest for. If you're a nine, I mean you got to try to be a 10. If you're a 10, I don't know. There could be some 11s out there you really can't be sure. Better be safe than sorry. And I don't mean to pick on the beautiful people. I know it's very hard for you. Um, because the same thing goes for smart people, popular people, wealthy people, funny people, whatever your thing is. And we've all got a thing. you know your thing? The thing that gives you juice, worth, value. When it's going good, you're going good. Yeah? Got it? Your thing. Whatever your thing is, it's a source of anxiety for you. Absolutely it is. And you cannot defeat the anxiety by mastering it because there's always a higher rung up the ladder. Right? So you're sitting here and you tell yourself, oh man, if I could just get up there, then it'd be good. Then you get up there and what happens? Ah, oh, if I could, just, I could just get up there, then I'd be good. And then the anxiety would go away. All that to say, mastering something does not rid you of worry. It just gives you new things to worry about. Right? My man Dickie with the Clap. Mastering something doesn't rid you of worry, man. It just gives you a new list of things to be worried about. Which brings us back to Jesus' teaching on worry. So, Jesus tells us not to worry. Not super helpful, but then he tells us how to do it. And notice, he doesn't say, hey, don't worry, but instead just, just master all of your anxieties. Jesus doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, hey, don't worry. Be happy now. He didn't say that either. Rather, what Jesus says is what? He says, hey, don't worry be generous. That's what Jesus says. Don't worry. Instead, give away all your possessions and give them to charity. Don't worry. But instead, give away as much of your stuff as you can. And at this point, maybe you're wondering what getting rid of your stuff has to do with getting rid of worry, right? It would seem like that would kind of work the opposite way. But it's actually very simple. And down deep in your heart, I bet you know that this is true. Okay, you ready for this? If you want to live without fear and worry, then you got to become somebody who's got nothing to lose. If you want to live without fear and worry, then you got to become somebody who's got nothing to lose. Because so long as you think you need the beauty, the smarts, the popularity, the wealth, the whatever, you will always be a prisoner to worry. You can try whatever you want, but you cannot think yourself out of worry, and you cannot master yourself out of worry. No, the only way you get out of worry's prison is by becoming somebody who's got nothing to lose. It's the only way out. It's the only key. And so how do you become somebody who's got nothing to lose? Well, Jesus helps us with that. He says, first off, we've already kind of alluded to this, it's going to require you to practice a generosity that's going to make you uncomfortable at first. Maybe forever, but definitely at first. Right? So Jesus, you know, he's like, hey, listen up, everybody. I want to free you from fear and worry. Does anybody here want to be free from fear and worry? We say, yes, Jesus, we want to be free from fear and worry. You just tell us what to do. And Jesus is like, all right, I'm about to tell you. you ready. And we're like, yep, yeah, we've got our pen and paper out. Baby, we are ready to take these notes. We want to be free of fear and worry. We will do whatever you ask us to do. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to sell all your possessions and give them to charity. And we're like, do you have any other advice? Maybe yoga. Uh, I get a new planner. You know, I... There's nothing a new planner can't, can't fix. Do you see how hard it is to get out of worry's prison? You see how hard it is? This is why so few of us get out. Because the cause of your anxiety typically disguises itself as something that you can't live without. This is why it's hard to get out. The cause of your anxiety is disguised itself as something you can't live without. So here we are, right? We're piling up all this stuff. More stuff than any people in the history of the world. That's what we got. Because we believe this stuff gives us security, right? But instead of security, all this stuff really does is give us anxiety. Because the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to lose. And the more stuff you have to lose, the more stuff you have to, lose, you have to be anxious about. And you see how this vicious little cycle works? Right? We're piling up all this stuff, thinking it gives us security. But it doesn't give us security. It just gives us more stuff to be anxious about. And you see how easy it is to talk yourself into spending your whole life safe in worry's prison. Now you're you're just locked up and you're like, oh, it's great. Three square meals a day, you know. I don't want out of here. It's dangerous out in the world. And so this is why Jesus is not being harsh when he tells us to practice a seemingly unreasonable generosity. He's trying to set us free. He's trying to tell you, hey, that door is open. The door to your cell is open. But you can't walk through it with all that stuff. You know, you just can't. And what's also so cool about this is the way in which our freedom from worry is bound up with generosity toward others. Did you notice that? Uh, How cool is it, okay? It didn't have to be this way. How cool is it that God created the world in such a way that you being free from worry results in other people having their needs met. That unbelievable got a great example of it right now. You run to the store all worried and you buy everything up. You know what will happen? Other people will be without. That's what's going to happen. You live with trust. You live in faith. Faith in the people around you to take care of you if you need it. Then you know what will happen? There will be enough for everybody if you learn not to live with fear and worry. So that's the first thing. you got to become somebody who's got nothing to lose. You have to practice radical generosity. And the second thing that comes through in Jesus' words is that we should really spend less time sitting around in our feelings and more time paying attention to God's goodness and faithfulness all around us. Less time sitting around in your feelings more time paying attention to God's faithfulness all around you because how interesting is it that in this teaching on worry again this is the quintessential biblical teaching on worry Jesus never really invites us to reflect on our feelings isn't that interesting now to be clear I'm not telling you that reflecting on your feelings is bad I did it once it was fine I do it all the time. I'm not telling you reflecting on your feelings is bad. Rather, what I'm saying is that you getting out of worry's prison is ultimately not a matter of you understanding your feelings, but it is a matter of you understanding and accepting God's faithfulness towards you. You follow me here? That's what it's about. I have a number of friends who are wonderful therapists, and they all say the same thing. Look, it is important that you understand yourself, but one of the things that you come to understand once you understand yourself is that you cannot save yourself. And your hope is ultimately in a good and faithful God or else it is a vain hope. And so let's wrap it up with this. What does Jesus say? He says, hey, you want out of Worry's prison? I mean, anybody in here today, you're like, yep, I want I out of Worry's prison. If that's you, then here's what you do. You practice a radical generosity. You become somebody who's got nothing to lose, man. And then what else do you do? You pay attention to God's faithfulness all around you. Look at the birds trees, the green grass, the ice, (laughs) melting, the melting ice. And you remember that God your Father has gladly chosen to give you all of this stuff. I'm wrapping up, it's fine. He's gladly chosen to give you all this stuff and the kingdom too. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of another day. It was a hard week for a lot of us, a week that I think reminded a lot of us how, how dependent we are on others. Man, how much we need you, uh, how a lot of our um, illusions of control and security, they are that, they are illusions. We were kind of brought back to some, some primal realizations about how we need you and we need each other. And so, God, this week, we we pause, man, and we let Jesus' words sink deep down into our bones. I know so many of us, probably most of us, have spent most of our lives in worry's prison. God, we're filled with anxiety, sun up to sundown, and we want to be free. We really do. But we're also afraid because being free means we have to let go of these things that we think give us security. And so I just pray for all my friends gathered here today that you would give us the courage to do what you said, to practice a radical generosity, and then to look around at the mass of faithfulness that surrounds us every single moment, every breath in, every breath out, every bird, every tree, every blade of green grass, every ray of the sunlight. That we would feel it, embrace it as your faithfulness to us, and it'll give us the freedom. To live without fear and worry, which means the freedom to live generously. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.